This is a podcast produced by Visionaries Norway. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for this third episode of our podcast series. As usual, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to check out our Facebook page, Visionaries Norway. In the last episode, we were talking about the mechanics of echolocation. In this episode, we will be talking about how to actually do it. We will be talking about the practical aspect of echolocation, how you make the sound, and also the social aspect. How is it to walk around clicking in a world which is mostly populated by sighted people that do not click themselves? You'll be getting a lot of information here, so I will give you a quick summary at the end. I hope you enjoy it. So in the last episode, we talked about echolocation and, and flash sonar more of like more more like a concept. But uh, now we're just gonna. Uh, well, I'm very curious about it and just want to you know let all of all of those that listen to this like how do you actually make this this signal that 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 creates pictures in your head? <laughs> how do we do it? Right. So. Again, we we use the term flash sonar to to highlight the qualities of signal. The signal sort of being like a flash or burst or pulse of energy. Um, and we talked about how uh, the the uh, briefness of the signal allows the signal to get out of the way so that we can clearly hear the echo. That's the first thing. And then scientifically, there's something about what we call a sharp rise time or attack. So if your signal is sort of like a, let's say a juicy or mushy signal, like a or type of signal, um, it tends to produce less clear images than if you had more like a or type signal, because uh, there's it's math, and I'm not a mathematician, but there's something about a very sharp rise time of a signal that produces a really broad um, spectrum of frequencies. And we know that broad spectrums of frequencies bring the best information. They, they bring the, the highest quality of information. Um, and so the sharper your rise time, the broader the spectrum of frequencies and the, the, um, the more, uh, think of it as content, the more content you get back from the environment. So anyway, so, so you want something that has a sharp rise time and a, a quick decay. Um, so there are several types of tongue clicks that people uh, can make. Um, and then there's, there, there are typical types of tongue clicks that expert locators make, e expert echolocators make. So the, the two most common types, uh, there are names for them. People, people have actually named tongue clicks. That, that's, yes. that, that, I didn't know people, that. that that's, in, that's pretty cool. Entirely too much time on their hands have actually <laughs> given names to these tongue clicks. And, and who they are are interesting. They are phoneticists, people who study phonetics, phonemes, sounds made by by human speech or within human speech and there are click languages 
So languages that use tongue clicks as a part of their consonant repertoire. Um, so we have things like k and ch and s, you know, and t. I mean, those are consonants, d, that we make. And there are some uh, languages, mostly African languages, that include things like and 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 as consonants in their languages. So for echolocators who are using the briefest signals with the highest attack, you'd be looking at something like or Okay, though, I mean, generally speaking, um, everyone's signal is going to sound slightly different, just as everyone's voice sounds different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, different people have different mouth shapes and oral structures and so forth. So, so those, are, th those are my versions of those two types of signals. So how many, how many general tongue clicks are there? There are five. Five that have been named. Mm -hmm. And then there are subcategories within those five. But basically, there are five. So the type, which almost sounds like a finger snap in a, in a way, um, that's actually called a, a, a palatal click. So it's, it, it has to do with how the tongue creates the sound. Um, it's an implosive, which means you form a vacuum between your tongue and your palate, just behind the top teeth. And when you pull your tongue away, it, it pops the vacuum and you get an inrush of air and, and that creates the, the click. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's a, a palatal click and it's generally made with the front of the tongue, uh, just behind the tip of the tongue and just behind the top teeth. And I'll, I'll talk more about the mechanics of, of like how we can sort of learn to do these clicks if we don't, I mean, mo most people can do a tongue click without much training. You know, about 75% of people in our experience can do quite a satisfactory tongue click without much training. And even with a little training, they can get a good tongue click going. Um, but the other uh, cl classification of click is the alveolar click, the click, which is made more toward the back of the mouth with the back of the tongue. So um, uh, the back of the, the alveolar click is um, uses oral structures that are very similar to making a, making a K sound. So K, K, or G, or even N, so the NG, N sound. So um, if you can do K, or G, or N, doing is, is actually quite similar. It's quite a similar uh, uh, positioning of the tongue against the uh, alveolar ridge, which is behind the alveolar ridge. So one exercise that we sometimes use with people is the King Kong exercise, where you basically say King Kong, and the ng leads you to the alveolar click. King Kong. And um, the uh, other click that I did earlier, the palatal click, which is done more toward the front of the mouth, is closer to like a ch, as in, well, in English we would say church. So church or um, judge. So the G sound, j or J sound. And so 
sometimes we would we would have people say judge so you can go from quite easily because it positions your tongue in about where it needs to be to make that sound so there are other things you can do uh, that I'll get into shortly that that help that can help people to make to make those sounds but but one thing I do well, no, let me, I'll go to the other two, uh, other couple clicks. So there's also the dental click. Yep, and in English we would, we would call that the tisk tisk click. So we have an expression, if someone does something that you might disapprove of, you, you just sort of, you know, it's like, uh, you shouldn't yeah. have done that, right? And, um, and so tisk tisk, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's made with the, tip of the tongue against the top teeth and then you pull back and you create that little vacuum and you know what we've had a few actually quite good echolocators use that as their signal um, uh, the the problem with the signal well the good thing about the signal is it works tolerably well for objects at close range it does not work well for objects at distant ranges because you just can't get volume out of it. Um, so um, even, even people who use that signal will sometimes have an alternative signal that they use for objects that are further away. And so in general, it's, it's not a signal that we recommend, um, but it is a signal that uh, a few students we've had actually do use. Um, so that would be the dental click. And the other... Uh, a fourth type of click is called the lateral click that's done with the sides of the tongue against the top molars. Um, and we might also call it the, the horsey click or the giddy up click. Exactly. Get your horse moving, right? Every horse seems to understand that somehow. Who knows why? But they do. <laughs> and, um, and it gets horses moving. And so um, it's literally made by the sides of the tongue against the molars. And sometimes what we will do to try and get people to do more of a sharp click is I'll actually uh, model, show them how to do this moving from the lateral click to the, uh, to the alveolar click. And if most people try it, you know, a lot of people can actually do it. So it kind of sounds like this. You start with a lateral click, and then you move the energy from the side of your tongue closer to the middle of your tongue. So it kind of sounds like this. Right? So. And believe it or not, I've, I've actually taught some people how to go when they could only go just by practicing that little exercise. Um, um, but the King Kong exercise uh, often works with that particular, with the palatal click, I'm sorry, with the alveolar click because um, it positions the tongue well. And some people actually use that to sort of set or reset their click. Um, uh, now, one type of click 
so so if so most people about seventy five percent of people can do a satisfactory click, and the most common echo echolocation click is the in our experience is the alveolar or something that sounds similar to the alveolar so that's that's most common and it works perfectly well um, and uh, but the 25% give or take of people who uh, don't find tongue clicking easy, when they first try to tongue click, they'll do what I call a cluck click. Right? Ah, uh, yeah, like, like two clicks. Two clicks. And so, and but most people don't hear the two clicks right away. They just hear click. But if you slow it down from to Right? So you've got followed by right? So you so what I tell people is you want the without the So people who are doing the cluck click, which by the way phoneticists have not named because no click languages use cluck clicks. They're inefficient clicks and they're also inefficient for echolocating. So we highly discourage that type of click um, uh, for lots of reasons. Um, you, it, so, so what we often do is we train people uh, in what, what I call tongue awareness to keep the, if, if you're making a cluck click, it means that the tip of your tongue is dropping to the, roof of, uh, to the floor of your mouth. And that's what makes the second click, the second click of the, of the two clicks that uh, are inherent in the cluck click. So we want the without the, which means that we don't want the tip of the, the tongue to drop to the floor of the mouth. And one way of, of helping people to not do that is, is tongue awareness. So just be aware of what the tip of your tongue is doing so the tip of your tongue is what we use to, to say things like t and z and n, right? That's the tip of your tongue, and you want that to stay up uh, as if you're saying t or n, right? So that's the first thing. And so sometimes we'll have people take a spoon and just place it on top of their bottom teeth, Okay, and then your tongue can't fall. It, it, the tip of your tongue can't drop. So if you try to go, you end up with, and not because the spoon's in the way. <laughs> so your tongue doesn't drop. So basically you train your tongue to stay up. And that works actually for a lot of people, this little spoon exercise works for a lot of people. Um, uh, I have students do it themselves. Um, you know, with children, you might have to show them where to place the spoon. Um, it's light, it's relaxed, you don't have to force the tongue at all. You just want to keep the tip of the tongue from dropping down. So that almost, almost automatically forces your tongue to make the alveolar sound without a cluck sound.
And that generally works. I mean, that generally works pretty well for most people. Um, some people benefit from the analogy or, 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 or the exercise in thinking that, say, you have peanut butter. I don't know how common peanut butter is here in Norway. Oh, it's, it's relatively. Is it really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and if it's stuck to the roof of your mouth, you have to pull it off, right? So you use your tongue to sort of pull it off. And it's a very similar motion to make a tongue click is like pulling peanut butter off of the roof of your mouth. So some people find that thinking about that exercise to be very useful. And in the beginning, before I developed all these other exercises, I did use that and a lot of people did did benefit from that. So there is a fifth click that no one ever uses when echolocating and it's called a bilabial click and I don't even do it particularly well, but it's done with the lips. It's basically like the kiss click. It's something like that. Uh -huh. We don't even have to get into it because it's nothing that anyone would ever use <laughs> for echolocating. You can use other types of signals. There are people who can use finger snaps, for example. Um, I even teach people how to use a hand clap if you're trying to hear something from very far away. Mm -hmm, because it's louder. It's louder, exactly. It's, very, it's louder and it's useful. Um, it's just that tongue clicking is hands-free. You don't need to use your hands. Um, and so you, you can do it anytime. And another useful characteristic of, a, of an active echolocation signal is uh, that you can create it at any volume, any level of loudness. So it can be very soft or which actually is enough to, to bring sufficient information if you're in a quiet environment, or if you only need information from things that are close to you, um, you not only do you not need a loud click, but it's it's counterproductive um, to gather information from certain uh, types of things in um, quiet environments. If you use a click that's too loud, you just you just don't need. There there are times when you don't need. Uh, more information than you need. So I refer to the volume of the signal as like a focusing mechanism. So the human eye adjusts its shape to focus on items in the environment at varying distances. So if something is close to you, your eye is shaped a certain way. If something's further away, your eye changes shape to another way so that you keep the object in clarity by how the lens of your eye is shaped. And it's a similar idea using a volume of echolocation. So if you're using a quiet signal, you can actually focus better on things that are close to you um, or on things that are in quiet environments. And if you're using a louder signal, it's easier to focus on things that are further away or it's easier to focus on things in loud environments. And so a big part of our training is 
in helping people to adjust the volume of their signal to suit the environment and the activity, which also reduces um, uh, it reduces I call it discrete a discrete echolocation signal, which basically means it isn't louder than it needs to be, right? So um, it doesn't tend to call attention to itself because it's only used uh, at the level of volume that is needed given a certain activity. And if it's really noisy and really noisy environment, no one notices or really cares that you're using a louder signal because it never goes above the noise level of the environment that you're in. So a big part of our training is is keeping your signal discreet, not not only for social reasons, but just for practical reasons, it actually gives you a better image. So what's your, I mean, <clears throat> I know in my experience when I started to like learn to click my tongue, I was immediately having the thought saying, what will people think about this? How does people react to this? Um, do they think I'm weird? And I know that, you know, many other people have had the same thoughts. So what's your, what's your experience with, you know, you, you, you've traveled around the world pretty much everywhere. So what's your experience with clicking? Does people care? In our experience, no. Um, what what we find, <laughs> so well, I'll start with my experiences as a child. So, um, I grew up in in America. Now, um, Americans, uh, for better or worse, we tend to be a bit relaxed when it comes to differences. For whatever reason, somehow we don't tend to care very much if someone. Um, you know, looks funny or sounds funny or whatever. Um, I mean, that may not have always been the case in our culture, but it's more the case now. I'm 52 years old, so I grew up at a time when there would have been more stigma, I guess, around differences. And as a child growing up, I have to say that people were much more in tune with the way I got around than they were in tune with sounds that I made to get around. Mm -hmm. I never got teased for clicking as a kid. I just, I mean, if it, if it ever happened, it doesn't even stand out in my memory. So, you know, some people might say, oh, you know, you, you, you kind of sound like a cricket or something. But I mean, it was never like a, 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 it was never like a standard thing that I was ever teased about. I got teased far more for, I've got a red birthmark on my left cheek. Um, and it, it does stand out, and as a child it stood out more. It's faded a little bit as I've gotten older, but I, by far, by far, I got teased more about that. Oh, it looks like someone hit you in the face with a tomato kind of thing, you know, than I ever got about my clicking. So um, our experience worldwide, we've been to 40 countries, um, our experience, give or take, Different cultures are a little bit different in terms of how tense they are around differences, okay, to be sure. But um, by and large, our experience is that sighted people don't tend to register the click. They, they 
register what you look like. They register how you present yourself, quite frankly. And so what we have found, uh, and you know, by our own experience, but also by, by sighted people who verified this, is that sighted people tend to notice how you carry yourself. They tend to, to notice how you move. They tend to notice how you approach the environment. They tend to notice your posture. And people who, who, act, who echolocate actively and who are comfortable with, with how they move, with people who, echo, who echolocate tend to be comfortable with how they move, how we move, that's what sighted people notice. They notice how relaxed you are. They notice your posture. People who echolocate tend to have what I have come to call an echo posture. It's a fairly straight posture. Your head is held, held erect and you scan, so you look actively engaged in your environment and you look a little bit animated and you, you basically look like you're looking around, which you are, and you look um, presentable. And that's what people notice. And so the click, you, they might notice it if you call it to their attention, but it's not the first thing that they tend to register. So this is just kind of reality, okay? I'm just doing a reality check for everyone. If we're concerned that you're gonna get weird responses from the general public, that has not been our experience. And we've got, well, by now we've got hundreds of people who, who you know, are very comfortable actively echolocating in the environment. Of course, our instructors definitely do so. Um, if people do notice it, they think it's cool. And to be, I mean, just to be honest about it, they think it's cool. They've seen it on the news somewhere. They've seen it in a documentary somewhere. Oh, aren't you that guy? Or oh, I saw this documentary where this you know blind guy could could walk around and it was like he could see and <laughs> that sort of thing. So they, so. Blind people, however, do tend to register the sound because we're blind and we register what we hear. And so when we hear someone clicking, we hear, that's what we hear. And so we tend to over-accent in our own minds how sighted people hear this. And I'm just here to tell you, if you're blind, sighted people aren't really noticing your clicking. What they're noticing is how you move. What they're noticing is how you carry yourself, how you present yourself. That's what they're noticing. So um, uh, I'll give one example of something that happened in another podcast I was, I was delivering in the UK. It was an RNIB, Royal National Institute of the Blind, uh, for the Blind podcast. And um, there were two interviewers. One of them was blind and one of them was sighted. And um, at, at one point, um, I uh, stopped in the middle of the interview and I had to go take a phone call or something, some, some phone call I just had to take. And so um, I got up, walked out of the room, did what I had to do, and, and I came back in. And the two people who were interviewing me um, told me that the blind person who was interviewing me had had was a bit skeptical and a bit, you know, not sure about this whole tongue clicking thing and, you know, how socially appropriate this might be, et cetera, et cetera. And then she said, after I'd left to the sighted interviewer, wow, I, I hardly noticed him clicking. You know, he, he did that very quietly. It, it really didn't stand out. 
And the sighted person said, what clicking? <laughs> so, you know, that, and then they told this story in the podcast, right? That for, for the blind person, this resolved the skepticism that she might have had. So that's, that's the first um, reality to, to what we call the social appropriateness argument. But there's another level to this argument that I, I just want to put out there. And that is that um, I'll, 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 I'll bring this to myself. I'm a person, I've got a job to do. I've got a life to lead. I've got things to achieve. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. And I do it as best I can with the tools I have and the strategies I have available to me. And one of those is flash sonar. One of those is clicking. That makes it work. It brings information. It's how I get around. And I don't accept, I accept responsibility for myself and I accept responsibility for what I need to do to get done what I need to get done to achieve what I want to achieve. I don't take on myself I don't take responsibility for other people who might have a problem with how I do that. So for me, if, if, if there was anyone who objected to my clicking, which quite frankly, I really haven't encountered often enough in my life for it to have even made an impression, um, I, I'm not really concerned. I, 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 I think of it as their problem and not my problem. And I, I don't feel like taking on myself other people's problems. So I present people who may have a self-consciousness or a concern about how they might appear or how they might come across to just think about your life. <laughs> and taking responsibility for your life and not being burdened by other people's problems with how you do that because uh, they're not responsible for you and they're not responsible for what you have to accomplish in your life. Only you are responsible for that. So, so that's my perspective on, um, on how other people might view what I have to do to, um, to live. Daniel, we're talking about tongue clicks, and some of them are more helpful when echolocating than others. Here, I'll briefly go through all of them with you. First off is a palatal click. The palatal click is created just behind your upper teeth and it sounds something like this. Secondly, the alveolar click. The alveolar click is created more at the back of your mouth and it sounds something like this. Now these two clicks, the palatal click and the alveolar click, are mostly used by echolocators. 
The third type of click, the dental click, is used by some echolocators in more quiet environments and it sounds something like this. The fourth click is the lateral click or the horse click and it sounds maybe like this. In my experience, it's not very useful when echolocating. The fifth click, which sounds something like this, is not useful at all. We all have different voices, like Daniel said, and they're all different. It's the same with our clicks. These are the main names of the clicks, but you have to find the one you like the most and it will sound in individual for you because you're different than everyone else. So go ahead and find the click you like the most. Echolocation is a useful tool when navigating as a blind person. Another useful tool is the cane, which we will be talking about in our next episode. Stay tuned. Please subscribe if you want to hear more educational and inspirational podcasts and help us in our work with supporting visually impaired to become more independent. You may donate via our Facebook page, Visionaries Norway. Thank you for listening.